Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. If you have a day job, but dream of getting out on your own, it all starts with a side hustle. However, there are some common anti-patterns in side projects that you should be aware of when you're coming up with ideas or if you're choosing between different ideas. Side projects fail in predictable ways for reasons that are easy to see if you know what you're looking for. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the things that you need to watch out for inside projects so that you can make better choices. But before we get started, Will, what choices could you have made better this week? Going to Florida or Mexico for a week, I think would have been <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So the ice, you know, was kind of falling, I think, was it Saturday it started? And there was mm-hmm. a little bit, but it wasn't real bad, but I couldn't get out of the driveway Sunday morning. And yeah. I was not able to get out until about three thirty, four o'clock. Not the Monday after that, but the following Monday. So we were stuck here for eight days. We couldn't get in and out of the driveway. And that's kind of the pits. You know, I had plenty of food, had plenty of other stuff, um, you know, bought a new game. By other stuff, he means alcohol. Yes. Although that ran low. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were talking about your last beer on the aftercast. So yeah, I was I was sitting there looking at that, and I'm like, you know, I have all the stuff I could make some kvass. <laughs> I'm pretty sure oh. I could, you know, I could have that. It's like, will the driveway thaw before then or not? <laughs> yeah, but I did manage to get out. Uh, made a normal Saturday grocery run. I just made right before we recorded. It's tough. And some of my neighbors, they can't get out their front door because the snow just piled up there and then melted and refroze. And so it's like this hill of ice just going up there where the stairs used to be. And it's going to take a week for that to melt because it's not in the sun. So, oh, yeah. 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 And they're older. So it's pretty bad. So how about you? I have a headache. Um, I mean, it was really bad earlier. I uh, I went over to my mom's for lunch. We walked around her property a little bit, just get some exercise and stuff, and then sat and had lunch. And like right at the end of that, started getting a headache, drove home, it got worse. And I ended up taking the, the afternoon off, like sick leave for the afternoon because it hurt. Like I couldn't read the text on the screen. My vision was coming in and out of focus. So I laid down for a few hours Feeling a little bit better, though my head's still kind of the side of it hurts. I am drinking some Theraflu sinus and pain apple cider. I'm not really sure. It's like this powder stuff and it's all right. It doesn't taste bad. But uh, yeah, it's like I'm about halfway through this thing. And uh, yeah, I took some pain medicine earlier. And so it's it's starting to subside. But uh, yeah, if I'm a little bit off recording tonight, that's why. So. My new passport came in. I'm all set uh, for the trip. Uh, we had a meeting last week, week before last, sorry, uh, about what to pack and stuff. As of this afternoon, I only have $850 left to raise. 
when this episode comes out, I will have one week left to get the full amount. So there is still time to donate, guys, if you want to. The link will be in the show notes. This will be the last episode where the link is in the show notes. It's hard to believe. Next week, we will be recording our April 1st episode. Will and I have talked about what we're going to do. No spoilers, but uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. A birthday present from my sister arrived. There are some uh, shipping issues, so I didn't know that it was going to show up until like this past week. Uh, she got me a cookbook for my Instapot that she gave me for Christmas, a new tripod for my camera, and some guitar slides and picks. So I'm kind of excited. I played around with those the other night. Not used slide before, so guess what I'm taking to my lesson on Thursday. <laughs> nice. Yep. Also, it's been a busy week catching up on all sorts of stuff. I scheduled Amanda's birthday tattoo. This is becoming a tradition. We did that for her birthday last year. Huh. <laughs> she she told me, she's like, I was like, what do you want for your birthday? And she's like, I don't know, either a new piercing or a new tattoo. So she she settled on the tattoo. It's funny, I called because the, the tattoo artist we go to, he's usually booked out several months in advance. So I called and his, I'm guessing this is a new intern, uh, answered the phone and he was like, you know, have you seen him before? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, you know, he's done most of my work and stuff. And he's like, well, you know, he doesn't do small tattoos. I was like, yeah, but we, we've talked about this. Like he was going to do one for me and then do this small one for her too, uh, during the same time. And it's like, well, he only does one per day. And like, then I, I hear the artist in the background, he also owns the business, but I hear him in the background. He goes, who is that? And he told him, was like, what's your name? I told him, and he was like, oh, it's BJ. Hang on. He comes and gets on the phone. <laughs> he was like, dude, I am so sorry. I meant to call you because we had a, an appointment scheduled and then stuff happened. And then I had COVID Then he had COVID. Then we had ice storm. Oh, it was a uh, like all sorts of stuff. But we we got it scheduled. He's a he's a really great guy. So speaking of birthdays and spending money, saving money is hard, uh, especially when you're about to buy your girlfriend a tattoo for her birthday, or when you owe your best friend a Christmas present and a birthday present, and you can't <laughs> find their Amazon gift list. Um, we'll talk later. <laughs> Lucas Casades is a fee only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, his focus is on helping you live your best life. Uh, while we do it through podcasting, he does it by helping you create a plan for your finances and take action on that. Uh, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So there's no reason not to start. Lucas is also a fiduciary for his clients, which means that he's not here to sell you a product, but to help guide you to a better financial situation. So he's not a salesperson. Yeah. And you can find some fun free resources 
and learn a lot more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. I was actually on the website earlier this week looking stuff up uh, because he mentioned something about doing tax services now. And so there's a lot of stuff on his site. So check that out. That's levelupfinancialplanning.com. Lots of developers think about having side projects, whether it's for the extra money, the opportunity to learn new things that you can't learn at work, or simply to hedge your bets in a uncertain job market. A side project can often sound very appealing. However, if you make something on the side, you don't want to waste time and money on a side project. You want it to be effective. You should understand from the beginning that if you're wasting time or money, you're also wasting even more money or time along with it. If you're wasting one, you're wasting the other. This concept underpins everything else in this discussion and is critical to understand before you attempt any side project. The failure modes for side projects are all oriented around this same concept of avoiding this waste or the failure is wasting one or the other, which causes you to waste both. A bad project ultimately misuses time, money, both, or puts you into a position that does basically the same thing. In effect, then, most of the ways that fail could simply be reduced to wasting time or money. Actually, wasting time and money. Yeah. However, just like life, it's never quite so simple because the waste of time and money is often difficult to discover. You may not realize you're doing it right away. Also, people become emotionally attached to their side projects, and it's easy to stay with something that doesn't work a lot longer than is reasonable if you have that emotional attachment. Finally, being focused on a bad side project can mean that you don't notice the opportunity for a better one when it presents itself, and you're not open to new opportunities when they're there. Now, you might be asking yourself, what's the point of this You know, if I'm not planning on starting a business on the side? Uh, the answer is really simple. You'll see these anti-patterns everywhere once you understand them, including and maybe especially in established businesses that are hiring you to work on new projects. Even if you aren't in a management position, these anti-patterns will tend to show up and bite you anyway. Uh, You're far better off knowing how to mitigate or avoid these things if you can. Uh, At the very least, it gives you time to prepare for the layoffs if everything goes badly. If everything goes well, then it may put you in a much better position for negotiating with a company that hires you as well. In this episode, we're going to discuss some things that you can use to filter out side projects that may not be suitable for you, along with hopefully providing you some useful heuristics for deciding whether a project is worth pursuing. And probably if they use the word heuristics, that's a project to be avoided. Hey, you're the one that put it in the outline. I just happen to be the one who read it correctly. Yeah, you got to throw a $5 word into a $1 outline, right? That's how you get it up to, to 2 $3. Right. So the first and most obvious uh, anti-pattern is that you don't have a way to make enough money on it to keep running. I know this sounds obvious, but the thing is, if, if you don't have a way to make enough money on a coding side project, especially to make it worth your time and to handle the operational expenses of the project, then it's a hobby, which is fine, but it's not a business. This can be the case even when you 
think you can make some money from the project. It, you joke about some of the stuff I talked about in the past on like ways I, I tried to make money when I was younger, like my pog business or my baseball card business. And it's like, there, there's always a scheme. There's always, and I was like, yeah, it was always a side project. There's always a side hustle. I've, my whole life has been, all right, this is the main thing. And this is like the extra stuff I'm doing, except for when I went to med school, because yeah, there wasn't time for any. Thing, but med school. <laughs> your your side project was biology, your own yeah. personal biology, keeping it running. <laughs> that yeah. was your side project. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So early on, I actually tried to write software to help people write novels. Mm-hmm. Right. And you might think, okay, there's there's people that you know want to do that. There's successful products. I have a couple of them installed actually on my machine. Scrivener is pretty good for that. And there's a few others. But the problem is, is that the price point for that is extremely low. You know, you're talking 20, 30, 40 bucks a pop, which sounds like a lot, you know, for consumer software. But the problem is, is you're expected to support it all the time. How many of those people do you have to get? Yeah. And they're kind of cheap to writers. You know, a lot of them are really, really bad about not spending money on anything. And so there's, there's a lot of difficulty there. And I actually tried to you know push on that. I had a you know I had a couple of domains. I had you know, I had marketing plans. I mean, I spent a bunch of time trying to do that. And finally, you know, a, a friend of mine pulled me aside, and he's like, "Look, you're not going to make money doing this. Like you don't you're not solving a expensive problem." And that's really what it um, you know what it all comes down to. Now, you can also note that this objection doesn't mean that you don't do the project, but it does mean that you shouldn't expect the project to pay for your time. If it's still worth doing under those considerations, go ahead and do it. Well, yeah, I've known you to create things for your own use. That's like, oh, hey, I could sell this and make a little bit of money off of it. It's not going to pay me for the time, but I didn't build it with that in mind. Right. Oh, I mean, that's how open source works, right? Like it's yeah. it's worthwhile. It's just that the the model that provides the value is not one where somebody writes you a check. Or yeah. pays you online because nobody writes checks anymore. Except the lady in front of me at the grocery store today for some reason. Well, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So another anti-pattern that you'll see a lot, strangely, and I'm not sure why this is as common as it is because it's something that immediately looks bad to me. And I'm not sure if that's experience talking or I'm just from a different time. But when you have a project that requires that you market to two or more sides of a marketplace, that's going to be really hard. This is second to not having a market at all. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a project that requires that you market well to two or more groups of people in order for it to be successful is not really a good side project. That's a full-time job mm-hmm. with a with an actual team that's managing that. It's, it's going to be really, really hard to do that. You know, not only does this make the project exponentially more difficult to market but it makes it at least that much more difficult to code as well you want to keep your minimum viable product size as small as possible with a side project because it's about getting that out there to potential users to potential investors if that's the direction you're going with it but you need to get the hey i've got a working product out as fast as possible. 
Yeah. And then you come back and you refactor and you make it proper. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the two or more sided market is part of the reason you don't want to build your own marketplace or social network. These types of projects rely on network effects to become valuable. Mm-hmm. And so to understand what a network effect is. So imagine you're the only person in the world with a telephone. How valuable is that telephone? It well, is. I mean, it's the only one in existence. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like as a collector's item, yes. As having some utility, it's not because the network effects of having a telephone network have to be there for it to be useful. I mean, look at what happened to Google Plus. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and, and that's a great example, right? Freaking Google couldn't pull it off effectively. They had a failure mode there with all the money and all the personnel and all the AI and all the stuff that they've got. And they basically were just bleeding cash. Yeah. Um, it's really, really hard. Now, you and I have a friend, a pretty good friend of mine, who I still have to, some contract work to do for. I forgot I need to do that today. He actually built a system. He was successful, um, but it has been painful. And it's been yeah. slow. He started in like 2014. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's trucking along now, but it's 2021. That's a very long ramp. And he had to do a whole bunch of other stuff on the side to basically sustain that thing up to that point. He had to have side projects off of his main project to pay for the side project. <laughs> so, well, also think about, for example, I mean, we're, since we're talking about social media, Facebook, it did not start off with like, uh, of course, I'm getting most of this information from the movie, but Zuckerberg didn't start off trying to make this massive social network. He started off trying to make a product he could sell to colleges. Yeah. He had a small market, a specific market of, hey, this is an online yearbook that you can keep. And that's what he was doing. I remember when it came out, he had already graduated and I was in East Tennessee doing a year of just kind of post back work. And the school I was at was actually one of the trial schools. So we had Facebook before most other people. And it was, it was interesting. I also remember when they opened it up to high school students from just college students. And then from there to the world, I'm like, all right, well, this is going downhill. And I was right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, definitely gone downhill considerably and it's worth a lot of money, right? Like if you could get Mm -hmm. something like that up, great, but most people can't. Well, what I'm getting at is he wasn't going for two sides of a market. He was going for for one market. Yeah. And then it grew from there and that, that happens like he was successful at, at that. Although I do have to say, Matt, if you're listening to this, (laughs) That's our friend that has actually built something that's got a market. You know, this doesn't apply to you because you've done other things to make it work. (laughs) So uh, we ought to get him on one of these days. But yeah, that'd be good. So next, the next failure mode is that there are no similar projects in any industry. Yeah, I've I've had people uh, pitch ideas to me. Uh, You'll you'll get this. As a software developer, if you're around for very long, especially as you get prominent, like people just come at you with ideas and they want you to sign a non-disclosure agreement for all this stuff. And they've got this unique idea that they say nobody else has implemented. Um, I'm going to tell you up front, that's almost assuredly a sign of failure. 
you might be really, really creative, um, but it's unlikely that you've come up with a totally new idea that no one has ever implemented. If you have, this tends to indicate that either you haven't done enough research, you have an idea that isn't viable. In other words, there's nobody trying it now because it doesn't work or that you're using bleeding edge technology in a way that might not work too well. Yeah, this is funny. We have a friend who who pitched an idea to me and out of respect for him, I'm not going to say the idea. Basically, and he thought this was a great, creative, brand new, never thought of idea. And I'm like, all right, so how is it different than these five other things that are doing the exact same thing you're talking about, except they're charging money and you're saying not to? And he's like, oh, well, because, you know, it's not going to not going to cost and stuff. I'm like, all right, so how is it going to pay for itself? I was like, oh, well, you know, and I'm like, you know, that costs money. That costs money. That costs money. And it was just it it was because he's not familiar with the industry, like supporting a website and stuff. He's like, oh, like, yeah, the stuff isn't free just because you don't have to pay to use it. You know, unless you're like buying or selling something was like. It, it's not just free to have out there. Yeah. It's amazing how, how often that one comes up too. like, I've had somebody in my family tell me, I'm trying to remember what it was. Now there was something that was a, I want to say it was like a $15 a month price point for some tool. And I forget what it actually was. I can remember who told me about it, but they're like, Oh, you should do that and do it for free. And you can undercut them on the price. And I'm like, but, how does that work <laughs> exactly? The thing is, it's really easy to blow smoke up your own backside and to think that you're creative enough to think of something that no one else on the planet has ever considered. However, it's really, really unlikely that your idea is original at that level. A lot of times what I've noticed is that the things that end up being creative, like the world-changing creativity, it's not because someone set out to change the world with their creativity. They set out to solve a problem and they solved that problem and it grew from there. Yeah. Or it had a side effect. Yeah. Facebook, for example, going back to that, like the whole idea of kind of like the online yearbook, so to speak, like it was solving a problem of people not knowing who each other were and it grew from there and became this huge thing. It wasn't the original problem that they were trying to solve. Yeah. And, and no. that's that's usually the way that that ends up happening. You know, honestly, when somebody thinks they've got an idea that nobody's ever thought of, it typically means that they haven't researched enough or, you know, they're not solving a real problem for real people. Uh, you know, it can be another one. It's like, oh, I have this, you know, this particular boutique issue that I want to solve. And it's like, well, you know, it takes like five seconds to do that. And you want to have a software package to do it that is going to cost a bunch of money. Like what's the, I mean, it's almost like, you know, like in South Park where like Butters starts acting like Professor Chaos and he's going to go up there and he's going to switch the two plates and he's going to destroy, you know, <laughs> in, in the diner. And it's just, he's going to create chaos. It's like that kind of mindset applied to business. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you're not even playing on the field. In a similar note, the the next failure mode is very similar in that it is you're selling vitamins instead of aspirin. You know, you're talking about solving boutique problems. With this, you're writing software that solves like this like boutique kind of thing when there are people who actually 
need software to solve a pain point. And that was the thing I noticed with the novel writing software. It's like, yeah, everybody, you know, there's a big chunk of Americans that aspirationally look at maybe buying some software like that, but they actually won't spend the money on it. They'll think they can do it all in Word Mm -hmm. at best. And you're not fixing a burning issue for them. Yeah. Whereas if you say do scheduling software for some particular type of business, for instance, you know, some niche, you know, not just general scheduling software, that's a expensive pain in the butt problem that costs them money if it's done wrong. And so if you can make it happen correctly for them, they'll pay you for it. Yeah. Especially if you can do like your, your timesheets to where if you get paid on the first and the 15th and the 15th falls on a weekend, you don't have to come in on the weekend and enter a zero timesheet. That's so yeah. Cause they fuss at you if you wait till Monday, <laughs> forget about it on Friday. And then you wait till Monday, you get like this mean email. And I'm like, seriously, I got a lot of other more important stuff than putting in a blank timesheet for one day. Yeah, it's like I'm not even billing for this. I mean, it looks to me like you just bill for 15 minutes. I round that up to an hour. Yeah. I'm kidding. You round it up to that. four. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, that's that seal function can be tweaked. Yeah, if especially if you're solving a really expensive problem for a business rather than a less expensive problem for an individual, it's more likely that you will make something that works. Now, it's not going to be as glamorous, but no. You could make pretty good money writing software for like dump truck operators. You know what's funny is I remember, and this kind of leads into the next point you have on here. I remember high school. We're taking programming classes. This is Q Basic, Turbo Pascal. Like that's how long ago this was. You know, late nineties high school days. Yeah, all my friends were in there because they wanted to write games, and I'm like, yeah, I am not interested in that. That's okay. That's cool. That's that's what you guys want to do. But I kind of like the magic of playing video games. I don't want to think about like what goes into writing it. I want to just go and enjoy it. But when I see software, like business software stuff that like, because I helped out with a lot of stuff at the church because my dad was a preacher. When I saw the software that they used for stuff, I'm like, I wonder how that works. How do they get that to do that? How do they do this? And that's what I was fascinating with. It was also more practical. Like there are people who do like to write games. And stuff, but it's harder to make a living doing things like that for just regular customers because there's less of a reason for someone to buy a product and because they're less willing to spend a lot of money. Like, if you look at talking about gaming, like independent game developers, yeah, you know, they sell their games for five, six dollars each and they spent how long on it? Now, honestly, there are some really fun independent games out there. I enjoy those. Uh, I've written a few. Not that are for sale or anything, just for my nieces, but you know. <laughs> when I was a kid, um, my my grandfather had a oil distributorship. And there was a receipt that went out for some heating oil for a uh, plant in town, manufacturing facility. And it was like a $200 invoice, which is like a complete joke, considering how big some of those places are. <laughs> you know, like thinking about that now, I'm like, how is that? as low as $200, you know, even though it was like, you know, like 1986 or something, you're talking massive operations. Yeah. And I saw that and I'm like, wow, how do they have any money left? If they get a bill like that. And my grandfather 
sits me down and he's like, okay, if every time I hand you $5, I get back $10. How often am I going to hand you $5? I said, every time? And he's like, do you understand business now? (laughs) 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 And that's kind of the thing here is you've got to, you've got to do something that people are willing to pay for. And the most likely way to make that happen is that they make money on it or they lose less money than what they're paying you. It's great to keep people entertained. It's great to do all these other things, but at the end of the day, that's a marketing piece of leverage that you have that you would not have otherwise. That makes sense. The next failure mode is that the project is dependent on recently released, possibly unstable technology. We all like to pad our resumes with new tech, right? That's what developers do. We all do it. We try to be reasonable about it. Some of us, some not so much. Um, If you have the bleeding edge technology on there, a lot of times that can put you in a better position for a higher paying job. You know, fine and dandy. But you really shouldn't use that stuff for a business without, uh, you know, really, really extensive and careful consideration. Um, New tech is often very, very buggy and less likely to scale well initially and often gets drastically changed during early iterations. When Ruby on Rails came out, I was trying to do business software with it. Not a good time. (laughs) Well, I'm just reminded of Angular. Yeah. And we had, we consulted, uh, this was years ago. It was right after Angular 2 came out and he'd heard about some of the new stuff on there. He wasn't a software developer, but he'd heard about it because he wanted his guys to start doing that and brought us in to do some consulting. And we're like, all right, here's the cost of switching to Angular 2. Or here's how to get the same effect with what you've already got without that cost. Yeah. And I just I just remember that and it was like, yeah, like that technology changed drastically between one and two, like to the point where people were like considering delaying their their startups by months just to make those switches. And like eh. Yeah, and between two and four, there was some stuff in there too. Um and so it was just not not good. I actually chatted with that guy the other day. How's he doing? He is doing well. Um, you know, still that's good to hear moving along. So I'm glad I am, but you don't want to have to do a major code refactoring early in the product life cycle. This wastes time and it does not add value period. If you're not careful, it can completely distract you from actually getting something out the door. Also, when you're using brand new technology, it's very easy to get stuck <laughs> and it's a lot harder to find help. I was tasked with building some a cross-platform background service in .NET Core 3.0. The ability to build a background service was brand new to 3.0. So they had me start with the beta, testing it out and learning it and stuff like that. Then when the release came out, they're like, all right, we got this project ready to go. You're completely dedicated to it. And the release was different from the beta it took me longer to get it up and running because nobody knew. I thankfully reached out to some people I'd met through conferences who knew that better than I did and was able to be like, Hey, 
can you just point me to a resource so I can figure this out? <laughs> yeah. But if you can't find that stuff, you know, you'll sit and spin for days. And bear in mind that like your work day on a side project is an hour or two after work. Yeah. And if you burned eight hours, you lost a week. Mm-hmm. Give or take. And no. that's not something you want happening. Now, another thing I've seen a lot of people do is they want to make a product that is for a group of people that they either don't like or they don't understand well. And this almost always blows up in your face. You may have a really, really good idea for a product that can make money, but you shouldn't do it if you dislike the people who would use the product. One thing I've seen is people that are you know, strongly opposed to things like factory farming or just the way agriculture is conducted, or they don't like people that are rural people. And they want to make software in that space because they think they can make money. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to insult people at best. And you're probably really not going to understand their workflow or why they do things the way they do. And it it becomes a really, really strong disadvantage if you're not careful. And it's almost impossible to be ambivalent about a group of people or negative about them and then turn right around and make something that helps them. Yeah. You have to think with doing this sort of from the side project aspect, you're not separated from the customer. You're not sitting in your basement writing code and then having someone else go talk to them and gather the requirements and do the testing and find out what they need and things like that. No, as a side project, even if you're working with other people, you are still very involved in that. And on that, you may find that major cultural differences cause issues between you and your potential clients. Even if you like them, communication may be difficult just because of not even language barriers, because you can usually get around that, but things like time zones, if you're in different areas of the world, but also cultural, uh, what, well, what am I looking for? It's like, like how you present yourself. Um, Yeah. Like a great example of this. I worked and this, well, it's not, perfect, but I've worked on a few projects where we've had people overseas uh, working Mm -hmm. for us. And this was more management, not understanding them and not being able to get things across, but where they treated the people in the foreign country like they were Americans. They appealed to American values. They smiled too much. They kind of BS'd them Mm -hmm. like Americans do to each other all the time. Well, you pull that crap with somebody in Ukraine that they don't buy it. And it's very easy to end up in a situation where you do this to your customers. So for instance, with my accent, I would not dare go in into some, you know, try to write software for some financial institution in New York because I'm just not part of that world. And there's not a way that I'm going to look like I am. No, I mean, the way I look, I could easily go write software for, you know, the music industry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got the bohemian look, the beard, the long hair. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could do that or for the uh, cannabis industry or for farming or for actually, actually, like that might not be a bad side project because they're going to need some POS point of sale, not the other POS. Yeah, well, that's probably what they'll get initially, <laughs> but you know, it always gets better. But, you know, but I, I worked at a startup for a little while um, that was trying to write scheduling software for massage therapists, understood scheduling. I could do, you know, all the stuff that needed to be done. But I, like getting inside those people's heads that are using that system, I don't have that. Well, see, what's funny is 
I probably wouldn't have had a problem doing that because the way my brain works. Yeah, I wonder if I would now. But then yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I oh yeah, I remember you back then. That was like what your first job out of college, second job? No, it was the second. Second. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So no, yeah, back then, definitely not. Now I think you're flexible enough now in that you could have gotten to it. It still wouldn't be natural for you, but you could work with them. Yeah. Um back then I definitely could have. Yeah. Now that that also made a problem, but yeah. Yeah, which was which was a whole nother ball of wax that we won't get into. <laughs> Now, speaking of balls of wax, the next failure mode is the project will be extremely expensive to get started. So I think that'd be a ball of dough, actually. Yeah, that's Large true. That's true. Dough. Um, yeah, I've had some really, really neat ideas. Let me just throw one out there for you. Well, you'll remember this. Do you remember the unique thing that I did for my grandmother back when I got married? Mm hmm. Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> yeah, he he ran the wiring for it uh-huh. uh, at the venue. So my grandmother had fallen and broken her hip and was not able to come down to my wedding. So I built a website. And mind you, I was in med school. Uh, it was summer break, but I was in med school at the time. I was not a software developer. It was just a hobby. I built a website that allowed us to stream the wedding. Like it, like even with comments and everything, Like it was actually pretty fancy. I bought the domain and all this stuff. And then coming out of it, mind you, this was a year or two. Like, I think Twitch was just getting started. It was 2012, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, Twitch was just getting started. Facebook, YouTube Live were not in existence at all. And so, like, there just wasn't a way to live stream something unless you were a news outlet. I actually had to buy stuff that was designed for news outlets. I think I spent, like, $45 for one month of the service. I remember that. Yeah. But that gave me an idea. I'm like, Hey, people have like destination weddings and stuff like this. This would be a great project. And I know enough software developers that we could make this happen. Yeah. (laughs) But the startup cost was a little too much. And then you had stuff going on. You're like, I just, I can't right now work on it. And then my other friend I talked to about it, who was that, who was down there, um, said it wasn't possible. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Like he just saw it. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. It's not possible. <laughs> um, yeah, I was there for that conversation, but yeah. It, and I think honestly, what you had would have been a good idea if you'd been able to get funding. Yeah. Oh, and I, I could have, if I weren't in med school, like, and I could have put the, the side hustle focus on it, I could have probably gotten funding for that quickly because I already had a MVP. Yeah. So it was just scaling it. But yeah, that was the thing. But you're going to spend some money when you try to launch a software product. That's just the way of life. Um, You have to spend money to make money, so to speak. But if you have to spend a lot of money to get started, you may want to look into doing something else. Right. As a side project. Yeah. And you know, the thing is the amount that is too much varies from person to person and depends a lot on how much you're making, how much you have in savings, how secure your current income is, how much you value your time. Like, do you want to get into the internals of making yet another web grid 
for your new website or do you just want to buy at DevExpress? Right. There was yeah. a point when I would have made the decision completely differently than the way I would do it now. Oh yeah. I know. Uh, you know, like 30 seconds of consideration, the invoice is completed. <laughs> you know, like I'm not doing that, but there was a time that that oh yeah I'll spend two days trying to write a grid and knockout or something and I'll do a good job but like it's just a uh, value of your time. Regardless, you probably shouldn't spend more than a couple or three months take home pay on a new software project. And realistically, you really need to start out a lot cheaper than that because you think about what two or three months of take home pay is for a software developer. That's still a big chunk of change. But you may have some idea that's really good and it's like, hey, I need to I need to get a couple of outsourced developers and kick this thing off quick. Or I need to get you know some expensive software, or I need to I need to get virtual servers or I need to set up a, you know Amazon infrastructure and actually get somebody to do it right instead of the halfwit way that I would do it trying to start out. And so you may spend that kind of money. But but you really gotta watch. If I had known what I know about the industry back then. When you were like, hey, I've got too much going on in my life with my job. I can't do it. Like, I don't have time to sit to do it. And our other friend was like, that's not possible. And I'm like, I know it's possible. I would have probably outsourced that. Yeah. And been like, all right, I'm going to hire people to do this. Because at the time, I probably could have made that happen. I could have gotten the investors. Yeah, through med school. Yeah, that's kind of tricky. why I wanted you guys on there. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just that the extra expense is a risk of a lot of money. It's that it's also going to have make you have a bias towards not walking away if things don't work. You know, if you've dumped five thousand dollars into something, it's really hard to go. Okay, I, this isn't going to happen. Yeah, I think it's called the the investment bias. I know it happens in relationships. Yeah, sunk cost. Yeah, sunk cost bias. Yeah. Where it's like, I've already put this much into it, so I'm just going to stick it out. So, right. I've already made the, you know, <laughs> I've already made the, their parents not hate me. So, you know, like, <laughs> that, that takes a lot of time. I don't want to, uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's not a good thing to do in a business or just in life in general. You know, another thing about these expensive projects is that they tend to be a bit ambitious if you're just starting out. You're going to learn a lot as you try to build a side project. And it's a lot better to do so with less risk and less money tied up into it. Now, if this is like your third or fourth side project and you've learned a lot of the basic lessons, a lot of the stuff that we'll put into this outline, he learned the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> and I also know the guy that started Drip, you know, the email campaign marketing. Like I know the guy that started that. And it was, I don't know, his 15th, 20th project. He did books. He did a whole bunch of small stuff. He had a website selling towels. He built a SEO type tool mm-hmm. or he bought it and built it up um, to where it actually made good money, sold it and then built drip. It was not his first thing. Well, you know, what's interesting too is you look at a great artist. The Mona Lisa was not his first painting by far. You look at great musicians, like their popular songs were not the first song they ever wrote by far. Right. You know, um, like I have, I have a friend who writes songs and like, she's our worship director at church and she's written some worship songs for us. And like, we were talking about it one time, like me and her husband and her sister, we were driving out to do some filming 
And I was asking her about it because, you know, I write poetry. And so I was like, you know, what's the differences between writing that and writing music and stuff? And she was saying, she's like, I have books and books of songs that will never see the light of day. Yeah. And that's the thing. People expect that when it comes to like creative artistic things, but not when it comes to this stuff. There's this mentality of I'm going to create the next Facebook or I'm going to make this huge big thing the first time I go out. And it's like, no, you know what my first side hustle was? Do you want to know? Because you're going to laugh at me. I think I was like eight or nine years old. I was walking around my neighborhood trying to sell pins because I wanted to, this is how old I am, rent a movie because I had a friend coming over that night. So I grabbed a bunch of my dad's pins, <laughs> like a new bag of them. And I was walking around trying to sell them for 10 cents each to houses in the neighborhood so I could get the three or four dollars I needed to rent a movie. Uh, I went around, I did something similar, but mine was a wheelbarrow full of squash. Yeah. <laughs> went door to door. Like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, yeah, I do that. I've told you guys about the pog business I had when I was in middle school, baseball cards. Like there is always like some little side business, some little way of making a little extra income. And most of those failed. I mean, pogs failed because they went out of style and people stopped buying them. I was also charging 25 cents each. So I don't know, but that that's just <laughs> the way it is. Like it, it's one of those things that you, you build up to that bigger thing and you may hit it big. Like it's rare. I know a guy that hit it big on his first business. Yeah. And yeah, he, he borrowed like 40 K from his dad and, ended up selling the business i think for 60 mil yeah that works his second business didn't work so well that's not the case most of the time yeah like that is the rare rare exception it's usually going to be all right you build this side project that it's good if it can pay for itself yeah and then the next one and the next one and the next as you as you learn and then you hit your drip or uh, I think Hit Tail was the one that actually really changed it for Rob. But, and, and this is something too, I'll, I'll probably put a link in the show notes uh, for this guy's talks and stuff. But the final anti-pattern that is really bad as far as you know, causing problems is that if you don't have an idea how to market it and you expect it to just work out once you get the code done, you need to stop right there. This is something I see software developers do all the time. And I'm trying not to get rainy, but I've, I've seen a lot of people really, really mess up their lives this thought process. If you're thinking that the first thing you should do is to start coding, then you probably have not done enough research to actually know what to actually code. Yeah. And the fact is, is you don't have anybody that's a potential user. You have these people in your head that are basically fictional characters that are going to use fictional money to buy your fictional product. You need to make the characters real. <laughs> So the money's real. So then the product can be real. It doesn't go the other way. The This goes against a lot of the new coding wisdom that's that said the just start coding. Yeah. And the reason this goes against it is because the purpose is different. The just start coding attitude is build something, code something to learn. Right. To learn the coding. When it comes to building a product to sell, 
that doesn't work. You're not doing this to learn coding. You're doing this to help people and make a profit. Yeah. And if you start out with just writing code, you're going to learn that you suck at marketing. Yeah. And you'll be six months in of nights and weekends and telling a significant other that you're hustling and grinding to get something done. And then it goes nowhere. Um, I have done this repeatedly. And thankfully, my wife is fairly tolerant. But like, that's a hard sell. After a while, if you've done that three or four times, they're like, why don't you just go gamble or something? Because you could just lose the money and you'd be back quicker. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's 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 not a good place to be. And the thing is, a lot of people go, okay, well, I have a problem. I'm, I'm writing a product to handle this problem for myself. And that's totally valid. Write a script for yourself to solve your problem. But don't take that immediately and try to market it. The thing is, is you really need to be doing some research first so that you don't implement something big, you know, some nice, clean way of doing it versus the dirty script that you would do for yourself. You're going to want to research before you take it to that level, because what will end up happening is, is you'll implement something that does not make sense to a lot of your potential users. And you and I both have seen plenty of user interfaces and you know system designs that don't work with the way that a user thinks about something. They work with the way the developer thinks about something. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I've done this. Yeah. So have you. Oh yeah. I think one of the benefits of not having the background in computer science is that I had quite a bit of time using software before I started building it. Yeah. And so like I came into the industry already knowing how software is used. And yet I still, do this sometimes. You know, we have biases um, just in the way that we think about stuff as developers. And the problem is, is that nobody else has those or they don't have the same ones. They've got their own set. So like I worked at a company where, you know, they'd bring data in. They basically did a kind of a mail merge, mm -hmm. but it's a lot more complicated than that. And that chunk of data that came in, they called it a submission. Right. And that was on the user facing thing. And this is just a small thing. But every new company that got on the software, one of the first questions they asked was, what's a submission? Like you'll have verbal stuff like that, or you'll have like big system concept things. I mean, they didn't have that. Like it, they just had different terms for some of the same stuff that was across the industry. And heck, the project I'm working on at work right now, I'm changing what we call something because it's not called that industry wide. And I've spent a day on doing that. You really, you would rather write it that way first, correct? I've, I've had to, this project that I'm working on, it's pretty big and it's got a, a .NET core component and a .NET framework component to it because reasons, actually because the third party we're using doesn't work with .NET core and they have no plans of changing that. I'm like, all right, that's special. Anyway, so our business people, they don't know those terms. So they're calling it the .NET core piece and the .NET framework piece. And I'm like, all right, I've got to break this habit. Because what I realized, we brought on another developer and I'm like, all right, I've got to break these guys of this because that's not going to make any sense to him because he's like, yeah, but everything I do is .NET framework. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta work with them and like get them calling it the right thing. And I explained it in meeting after meeting and just over and over again. And now they're calling it the correct thing. 
I've got a good example of something similar. Uh, there was an accounting company that wrote software for gas distributorships. And my dad bought their software. And it's very clear an accountant did it. Because like you want to fill in an invoice. You got some farmer. He's got cow poop on his boots. And he's coming in to buy farm diesel. You know, he's getting 200 gallons. He comes in the door, right? You got to fill in the invoice. Okay, get this much. You know, it's getting pumped out there. And then he's got to get back to the farm because daylight's burning. It's middle of winter and he's got crap to do and literal crap on his shoes that's soaking into your carpet. Um, just kidding. We just have like one little rug. Um, <laughs> this, and that's why. Yeah, that, that would be why. Right. So this guy's standing there. And when you're entering an invoice for him, it's like, hey, here's what I'm buying. Here's who it's going to. Here's how much. Kick it out. There's an invoice. This software didn't do that. You have to pick all the GL accounts for all the different stuff. Everything from the fuel to the terminal evaporation allowance. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. That's how much evaporates when you run it through a pump. Yeah. Because you got to offset that because of the law and, and, and all this other stuff. And they're having to manually enter all those things for every invoice. Now, Dad did not keep that software, but the people that wrote it just they did not understand their their market and they they just wrote code first i get that and also when they switched to electronic medical records i had the exact same kind of problem there were some notes all i had to do is go in and say hey the the patient isn't wanting to hurt themselves or others and that's it but it would take 20 minutes to put that in right because you had to click through all this other stuff and it's like why especially working in the addictions unit because the patient may be asleep your entire shift because they're, they're coming off stuff and they're just like, they're medicated. They literally get up to go take their medicine and go back to bed and they sleep the entire shift. And you have to go through 30 minutes of clicking buttons to say they slept. Yeah, and, and it's just really easy to do. And as software developers, we, we tend to believe that we can get in the head of our users, but you can't if you don't know who they are. And you just got to be real careful about it. So guys, profitable coding side projects where you build an application service or you know even a plugin for something like WordPress are great things for developers to try. However, you can't just jump into it without sufficient preparation and research. Given my own personal experience and that of others, I'm going to suggest that you may find that most of the work involved in building an app that you can actually make money from has nothing to do with the code at all. The code can be a dumpster fire. If you've done the other stuff right, that doesn't mean it should be, but it can rather it's all the stuff that you happily get to ignore during your day job that actually makes the difference. However, if you don't pay attention before you start something, you can waste years of your life, strain friendships, burn yourself out and lose tons of money. If you don't do this properly, that's about all we've got. Uh, Beach, what do you have for us this week for tricks of the trade? So guys, um, we talked about side hustles here and they definitely can have their issues especially when you're starting something new or when you're working in a field with which you're not familiar. Uh, when you're doing something new that you are interested in, but you don't really know a lot about it or it's a field you're unfamiliar with, you may consider starting it as a hobby instead of a side project. That way you can invest a little bit of time and energy, maybe just a little bit of money, getting yourself going without the expectation of this is going to make me money without spending all your family time working on this 
and tell your wife, I'm going to make a lot of money. And then it not like it's a hobby. It's a thing you do on the weekend while the wife and kids are out doing their thing. You sit down, you code for a little bit. It's sort of a fun thing. If it takes off, then you can grow it into something more than a hobby. Also, when you're expected to know what you're doing, as in with a side project, you'll have the experiences from doing it as a hobby to guide you. I mean, this podcast started off as a hobby for the two of us. Uh, It's since become a side hustle and has opened even more opportunities. I mean, thanks to Lucas at Level Up and listeners like you supporting us on Patreon, we're in the process of making this to the point where it's paying for itself and we can start building new things to offer through the show or in conjunction with it. And that's just, that's really exciting to see our hobby, our passion become something that is bringing in some money that we can turn into a side project and be able to help people. It's really awesome. That's pretty much all I've got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.